Everybody excited about the holidays coming up? Somebody got some, not really? Okay, praise the Lord. We got some, we have prayer teams available after service for what's about to happen. Apparently, apparently it's somewhat stressful for some of us. We got cooking to do, right? My iPad's acting up, praise the Lord. Amen. We had a good service this morning, didn't we not? I just want to, yeah, you can give the Lord a big hand clap for that. That's okay. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Alex is like, I'm by myself. All by myself. I don't want to be. All by myself. No more. Um, I just wanted to say to, to all the Connect family, too, like, just really proud of you guys for... Um, just making uh, church a priority, and, and in particular, you know, all that's happened in the last year. Um, it's really hard, you know, on Sunday mornings to try to communicate um, a vision for the future while we're still trying to meet the needs of today, if that makes sense. Those two things are colliding every Sunday, in particular for the last few weeks, and I and, uh, just appreciate you guys stepping up and getting, getting it, and uh, hopefully you can give it away, too, you know, why, why we exist, what we're up to. You know, people have to the perceiver perceptions reality. So people have certain perceptions about why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why I try my best to unpack the why behind the what. So yeah, we renovated the church. And, but people can just say, you know, you did all that for, you know, what, some cushy chairs and some coffee. And there, there was so much more to it than that, you know. We we're creating better meeting space so we can have more meaningful connections with people. And just hard for people to see that sometimes. But um, anyway, I think you guys get it and you've done well. And I think we're maximizing it pretty well, too. I think that we've seen, you know, uh, the common, for example, is just always being utilized. You guys are, hopefully when you're in church, you're just connecting with people. You know, get outside yourself. And everybody, everybody is um, a leader, you know, in the church. You know, if this is your home and it's about reaching people and connecting with people and, you know, kind of encouraging them and, and uh, pointing the way and the next steps for that. So I hope you guys are all doing that kind of as you go forward. Today, you know, I want to... Um, I want to talk about something that I haven't talked about, honestly, in a long, long time, uh, long time, and it motivates and um, infiltrates a lot of the values of our church. Like, it kind of, it might even be why you're here. It might even be ultimately why you're here, but you could look on the outside and just, you know, you could say, well, it's about this or it's about that, but under the hood, it, it could be what I'm going to talk about today, and so uh, if you want to write something down, I really encourage you to take notes on this, but I'm going to talk to you about the tree of life, the tree of life. And um, it, may, uh, it may make more sense kind of as we go forward. Um, I'll start. With, I'm going to do a lot of Bible thumping today or ask you to do that because um, that's what we do a lot here. Um, but I'm going to read first off from Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. Let's pray. Can we do that before we get into the word? Thank you, God, for the opportunity to... Uh, be together, and to kind of break bread. To, I pray for fresh bread from heaven for everybody that's in the room tonight. Uh, help us to encounter you through your word. Uh, many times we're just, we're, we come to new levels of freedom just because we come to new levels of revelation. I pray that the, the truth that we know and experience tonight set us free at a deeper level. If we've lost any of that freedom, we regain and up. And obtain it and help us to walk out of here and be able to maintain it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Revelation 22, verse 2, it says, In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Everybody say the tree of life. Which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Um, What's interesting to me, and I think sometimes to you, is that there's all these things that happen on the earth, these bad things, these bad catastrophes, for example. uh, It can be on a global scale. It can be on a personal scale. You see people suffering. You see people going through hardships. And many struggle with those happenings, and they attribute those happenings a lot of times to who? To God. Yeah, they attribute them to God. And and, and I was and am grieved at how, uh, you know, sometimes um, how do... You know, those things happen, and, 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 and sometimes we ascribe those things to the character and nature of God, and we assign blame to him for what happens on the earth. But all the way, I start in Revelation, but all the way back in the beginning, beginning in Genesis, God explains kind of all this real well and how it all went wrong. So if you, if you want to write some things down, look, this, I'll just make it real quick. Genesis 1 was kind of God's perfect plan. You can put in parentheses. So when you read Genesis 1 later, that's his perfect plan. That's where you see creation. Uh, You see paradise. You see it all the way he intended it to be. Genesis 2, uh, you see the trees were introduced. There's the tree of life, and then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a choice that's introduced in Genesis chapter 2. Remember that, choice. So Genesis 1, paradise, creation, the perfect plan of God. Genesis chapter 2, the trees were introduced. There was a choice between these two trees. And by the way, and I'll talk about this more in a second, but these trees more, are more about a way of life than anything. They're more about a, they represent more a way of life than anything. And then Genesis 3 is kind of where it all went wrong, the fall of man. The curse, the curses, the curse on the serpent, the woman, the man, the earth. That's where the curse was introduced. That's where sin entered the world. That's where evil kind of came into the world. Some humanists teach that, that uh, evil will always be with us. That's not true. Evil wasn't always with us, and it won't always be with us. It's just not true. So the bottom line is, without a growing, uh, vibrant relationship with God, specifically through his son, Jesus, man will always tend to assume that God is responsible when things go wrong. There'll always be that assumption. I call it the sin of assumption. It's the ultimate sin of assumption. And so, uh, however, it, it's simply not so. First John, actually, 5, if you want another reference, and again, a lot of Bible here today, but uh, I'll just paraphrase this. It just says, in, I think it's First John five nineteen. it says, the whole world and I'll I'll stress parenthetically, temporarily is under the control of the evil one. The earth is cursed since Genesis chapter 3. Matthew 24, as we studied not too long ago, tells us the signs of the end of the age and that these signs are in fact indicators of how close the second coming of Christ is. How many were here when we talked about that in our You Asked For It series? Okay, so that was a very relevant subject uh, as we got into that. And, and then he wants basically us to reach out for him through these things. He's not causing them, but he is leveraging them for us to perhaps reach out for him. Acts 17.27 tells us that. And so... Uh, again, evil won't always be with us, but evil centered, kind of entered, I should say, the world in Genesis 3. It's going to leave the scene in Revelation chapter 20, but most view the happenings of the garden, I think, the original, the start of it all, the kickoff of it all, through kind of a misinformed, or at best, in, uh, partially informed grid. The garden was where so much really took place that affects us today, and again, the tree of life is so huge, and we always think about the garden as it relates to an apple. 
You know, you know, and for most of us, we know about Adam and Eve and, and that they were forbidden to eat from that particular tree. But, but in fact, there was much more to it than a piece of fruit. The garden had to do with, had, yes, two literal trees. There were two literal trees that were there, but they represented a lot, a way of thinking. Um, the tree of life, you can write this down, is really a metaphor for relationship with Jesus. The Bible is actually full of these metaphors. Uh, the tree of life, if you want to write this down, is a new system of life. In an ultimate sense, and I'll unpack this for you as we go forward, but Jesus is in essence the tree of life. Later on, he's referred to in different ways, not as the tree of life, but the bread of life as an example. And before the fall of man, you could have, you, you could have a personal relationship with God that had nothing to do with knowledge, nothing to do with works. Um, there was no struggle uh, about it whatsoever um, until Jesus was born, uh, died, and resurrected years later. Um, man had, but until that happened, man struggled to connect with God after the fall. After the fall of man, man struggled to connect with God. Before the fall, he could walk and talk with God very, very easily. It was just, it was, he had dominion over his circumstances, dominion over the earth. There was intimate fellowship with God. But after the fall, it became very, very difficult until Jesus arrived. So Jesus restored that which was lost after the fall in so many different ways. Is everybody up for the snack, as my father used to say? Everybody paying attention? So in, in, in between, man pursued God throughout the Old Testament by works and by knowledge. And we can see from the garden's experience that God had a, he had a different plan in the beginning. He had a perfect plan in the beginning. And what went wrong, am I doing a bad job again? This is two, this is two services in a row that I get shut down. Uh, <laughs> what went wrong is, is what we're going to talk about and kind of how to fix the problem. Here's the big idea. You can write, this is our big idea, okay? The big mo. God wants us to have life in our relationship with him and others. God wants us to have life in our relationship with him and others. And we'll discover together, and for some, this may be a reminder, this may be a renewal of what, of what, what that, that God-ordained connection was supposed to look like, what it was intended to look like. And today, uh, tonight I should say, we'll talk about it some more. So God within the Garden of Eden establishes the principle of life. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2. You guys can look at that if you want. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 9, I think, and another verse in there as well once I get there. Are you guys getting this so far? Okay, Genesis 2.9. I kind of unpacked a little outline from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So now I'm kind of in the choice area. Genesis, this is kind of where things, uh, you know, the, the, the free will agency, the two trees were introduced, and uh, human, you know, humanity's encounter with these choices, okay? In Genesis 2, verse 9, it says this. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, so this is the same, this is the original reference in Genesis 2, similar to what we saw in Revelation 22. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Very interesting that you see this. Some of you, this will be again refresher, some of this will be new to you. It notices there's two trees. One is what God wants us to eat from. One is what God wants us to connect with, relate to. The other one, the tree of the knowledge of, listen, good and evil. So sometimes the, the tree of the knowledge of good can be bad for us, and I'll unpack that in a little while. So that makes sense, make, makes sense to you. So God wanted people to immediately uh, experience uh, freedom 
However, no freedom or privilege can be appreciated without boundaries. Look at verse, so verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die, or in an ultimate sense, die. So he's basically saying that for you to experience the freedoms that I have, there are, every river which has life in it has to have banks. There's boundaries to anything that God has for us in order for it to be appreciated. There's really no freedom without boundaries, if that makes sense. Hope it does. And so this was a tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that had detrimental effects. You can write this down. Just put like T-O-K, tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge had detrimental effects on your mindset, your attitude, your perceptions. It affected you. It affects the way we think about both good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil will affect the way we think and view both good and evil. Genesis 3, again, now we're going to where it all went wrong. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, and then we'll just spend some time talking about these things, okay? It says, this is known as the fall of man, Genesis 3. Now the serpent, of course we know as Satan, was more cunning than the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... There's only two people here at this time. Has, has God indeed said, you should not eat of every tree of the garden? Has God said, he's challenging him. And the woman said to the serpent, um, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch, lest you die. Look at what the serpent says. The serpent says to the woman, you shall not surely die. So he immediately questions God's word. That's what Satan does. Verse five, for God knows that in that day, He's, you, shall, you shall eat of it. Your eyes will be opened, look at this, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and tree, and tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. Notice he was with her, not just like far away. He was right there, the big doofus, and he ate. Verse 7, that's another message we'll get into. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Everybody say, everybody say their eyes were opened. And they knew what? They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. That must have been quite a sound, that's all I'm saying. In the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God Almighty, among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Adam, 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 where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? How did you know that? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave me, you, God, pointed finger, gave to me to be with me. She gave me of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice now that the devil did not appear to her uh, desire to, let's just say, to get her to rebel but he appealed to her desire to know God and to be like God. Okay, do you guys catch that? So he, he appealed to her on a good thing, not on a bad thing. If the devil came out with a, with a pitchfork in a red suit with a big tail at the front door and said, ha ha ha, I'm here to make you sin, we'd all be like, slam. We can see that. But when he appeals to our pride or he appeals to our, you know, our, our, our religious side of us, you know, try to get us to do something good, we're susceptible. We're susceptible. 
So he appealed to her desire to know God, be like God. The tree, in other words, of the knowledge of good and evil, has the appearance of good. But is it good? No, it's not. But he, or the devil in this case, sometimes tricks us with the appearance of godliness, but in actuality, sometimes it's a trap, and it happens in the church all the time. It kills churches, and it kills Christians. Christians die because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It could be from doing good or doing evil, either case. Read, uh, if you're there, I just don't know why I just shut my Bible, but in in verse 7, let me just show you this again. This is uh, Genesis 3, 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. There are some, this is is what God was trying to basically do. There are some things that God never wanted us to know. His desire was not restrictive, but protective. What do you mean? Well, we do the same, how many have kids? Raise your hand if you have kids, or, okay. How many wish you didn't have kids? No, I'm just kidding. You you, hurried, get out, no. But when when you're raising your kids, there are some things as you're raising them, you, they don't need to know. Why? Are you, because you're mean? Because you're like, <laughs> a wicked witch? No, because you're protecting them. You're, keep, you're protecting what? Their heart, their innocence. That's what you're trying to do. So God is trying to protect them, and there's some things he just didn't want us to know because he knew that if you knew certain things, it would rob you of life. It would rob you of life. They now saw things differently. See, all of a sudden, when they ate from this tree, everything changed. Literally in a second, the dynamic between their, their, their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their relationship with the earth, in one second, it just changed because they ate from that tree. I, I, don't, I don't know how to connect this, but like sometimes there's certain information that sometimes can distort your experience. For example, I'm a, I'm a musician, not, not particularly as good as, say, like Deej or, or David or different people like that that are in this room or Diego. Uh, um, there are different people, Diego, sorry. There, there's so many Diegos and Diogos and Josh, like, I just want to say whatever. Go, you know, whatever. But, but as a musician, sometimes you can be, you can be coming to a worship experience. This is, this is a thing that I have to wrestle through. I have to make sure I'm not eating from the tree of knowledge because when I'm eating from the tree of knowledge, I can hear when one string on a guitar is out. And, and I can't hear all the wonderful things that are happening because all I can hear is that one string that is out. Or if somebody's singing off, just off a little bit, it was beautiful tonight, by the way, and everybody did a great job, so don't anybody be upset. But because of that knowledge that I have, it's good knowledge, it can distort my encounter with the worship experience. Is anybody tracking out there? So you all have things like that in your life where though it is good, it can alter or affect adversely, sometimes detrimentally, your encounter with God, with other people, with, with, you know, with life. And so God was saying, I don't want you to eat from that particular tree because when you do, your eyes will be open. And, and the devil is saying, yeah, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Well, you can't handle what God can handle. And he knew that. And he was trying to protect you from that. The information affects our minds and how we filter everything. And then in verse 8, he says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. They hid themselves. So, so the result of that knowledge of good and evil uh, then became, became uh, sin, became blame, became shame. Really, ultimately, shame. Suddenly, they were naked. Did they know? Do kids, when they first come out, do they know they're naked? No. 
Is it like sinful that they're running around naked? No. Would it be sinful if we were running around naked? Yes. Don't do it. That's not, what I'm, that's not where I'm going in case anybody misinterprets me, okay? But the, just that innocence of the child, they didn't have any idea. That's what it was like in the beginning. So all of a sudden, their eyes were open and like, wait a minute, I'm naked. And they felt shame for the first time. Suddenly, they wanted to hide themselves. Suddenly, they wanted to withdraw. Suddenly, relationship dynamic between me and God, me and people, and me and the rest of the, of the earth is suddenly changed. Innocence was gone. Guilt, shame, blame, all these things enter the world. The Bible is always about life, not about rules and regulations and rights and wrongs and religion. And that's what religion does. Religion institutes rules to help us relate. And that's not what God intended for us in the beginning. And that's why we call it, religion calls it godliness, but it's a form of godliness. It's not true godliness. The tree of knowledge basically will mess you up. That's why you can have, relate it to church, that's why you can have two churches... You can have the same seats, the same TVs on the walls. We can be singing the same songs at church. We, we can have the same outline, same message being preached, but you can have one environment where there's life and another environment where there's a totally, completely different environment because one environment is eating from the tree of life and one environment is eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They're using what they have sometimes, sometimes as a weapon, sometimes as a protection, sometimes as works to get to God, sometimes as a, a, a filter for everything that's happened and that filter has been messed up because we're eating from the wrong tree. Clearly, there is right and wrong, but you can sometimes, we can be dead right. You can be right, right? Turn your name and say, you can be right, but you can be dead right. In other words, I'm right, but we are separated. That's exactly what happens from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can be right about certain things, but you can be separated from God. You can be separated from people. God doesn't want, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he came to, to, to break down the barrier and the walls that separate us between. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. He doesn't want, the whole point of Jesus was to, was to build a bridge between man and God and man and man. Not separate us, but actually to be influential. So here's, write these things down. These are characteristics of the tree of knowledge. Number one, and there'll be some subpoints under this, victimization, victimization. George Washington Carver, I don't know if you guys know who he is, he was a botanist, a scientist. Uh, he was a black man who was, was uh, sold into slavery. And he said this, he said, I will never allow another man to ruin my life by making me hate him. This is a man who suffered majorly. You should read about him. It's pretty powerful. But he had, in other words, he had, based on the knowledge he had, the experiences he had, he had valid reasons to be, to be justified in hatred abject poverty, he was extremely uh, poor, he was the son, let's just say, of slavery, uh, saw all of his offspring uh, die prematurely and his family die prematurely, but he wouldn't allow himself to eat from the tree of knowledge. He wouldn't allow it to corrupt him, his attitude, his mindsets, his view on life, his view on his relationship, he was a strong and devout Christian, his view on people as well. But victimization has three attributes. The first one is blame. We blame others. I'll give you all three of them. We blame ourselves and we feel guilty. We blame others, we blame ourselves, and we feel guilty. These are all attributes of victimization. When we blame others, again, it all began in the garden. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, it says this. Then the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree. So, so Adam starts the blame game right out of the gate. That didn't exist before the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So some of the top 
um, the byproduct of the tree of knowledge is blame. Blame. Lots and lots of blame. And you see it continue. Eve then blamed the serpent. Then, then Cain blamed Abel. I mean, it's just been going on for, for centuries, ever since. That didn't happen before the tree of knowledge. I want you to see, of, by the way, good and evil. God was trying to protect us of that. The characteristics of the tree of knowledge convince us that we can't, um, we can't obey God because of someone else's actions. Someone else's actions are preventing me from following God. That's what the tree of knowledge of good and evil produces blame, and blame then makes us believe I can't follow God because of him or her or this or that. Does that make sense to everybody? That's a byproduct. So you can know you are living in victimization if you are saying someone else or something else is preventing me from following God. That's a sign of the tree of knowledge in your life. This is good preaching, whether you guys amen or not. So the, blame ourselves, okay? So that's blame. It's a big deal. Uh, so so you, have, you have blame others. You have blame ourselves. This blame... Uh, blaming others uh, is, is one I just talked about. The blame ourselves, though, this, this blame can progress to, to even the worst situations. When we blame ourselves, this is, this, this is where it goes. Like a, it's like a full spectrum, you know? We can just go from just being upset with ourselves, a little bit depressed, all the way to checking out. People who, who uh, commit suicide, they struggle fundamentally with victimization. People who have suicidal tendencies, people who have wrestled that. I, I had some of that when I was a young man. Uh, it, was, it was a generational curse upon my family. I lost my grandfather to suicide. I lost an uncle to suicide. Uh, I, lost, I almost lost another uncle who, who used to talk to me about his suicidal tendencies when I was a young boy. So I, I have exposure to that. But that extreme suicide is an extreme byproduct of victimization, specifically, usually, blaming ourselves. We hold ourselves responsible. Listen to this, this kind of, I don't, I, I won't do too much on this, but, you know, Salt Lake City, what, is, what religion is Salt Lake City known for the most? The Mormons. Now, they have a ex- very high standard of living. They live a higher code, many, in many cases, they shouldn't, but than, than the Christian community. But they're living on the tree of knowledge. I'm not saying it's, they're biblical, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying they, their, their practices are, are likened to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. As a result, they are very performance oriented. God will accept me if I do X, Y, or Z. But since I can't live up to that standard, because only Jesus could, does anybody track with what I'm saying? Then they begin to blame themselves. And that's why they have the highest, amongst teens within the Mormon community, is the highest suicide rate of all. They can't make it. They can't hold those standards and those rules. And they are imposed by the church. And we don't see it just in the Mormon community. We see that in the church of Jesus Christ, too. We see, we see people that, that you get into certain environments. Like I said, they may have the same belief system, but the application of that belief system is one is on one tree, eating from one tree, and one is eating from the other tree. And the results are very detrimental if they're, if they're in the wrong tree. When we blame ourselves, we're saying this. We're saying that because of our personal weaknesses, that's why I can't follow God. When we blame others, we're saying that's why I can't follow God. When we blame ourselves, we say because of my personal weakness, because of this crutch, because of this hang-up, because of this hurt, because of this habit, all these things are keeping me from following God. That's a sign of victimization, and that is ultimately a sign of we're eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You guys getting something out of this? Okay, so in essence, we are saying that Jesus isn't really Lord of our lives because he's saying, we're saying that whoever or whatever made me do it. We're not even saying the devil made me do it. We're saying someone else or we're saying I did it. 
That's wrong. That's victimization. Here, the third one, we feel guilty. Guilt is fertile soil for the enemy because he will try to condemn you with the knowledge you now have. So now if we're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this, by the way, this will... You won't need counseling if you get this. Joyce would amen this to me, and so would my dad. If you understand what I'm talking about, fundamentally, when you get counseling, these are the areas that a counselor would go to. You are usually struggling with these particular areas. So if you, if you, ever, if you feel like there's personal things you just can't seem to get over, it's usually because you're eating from the wrong tree. And so what happens is, now when we're eating from the wrong tree and our eyes have been opened, we ate from the wrong tree, now we're, the information we now have, the enemy uses it to condemn us, to make us, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans chapter 8, but now the enemy is using the information we now have to condemn us and make us feel bad. So I used to read scripture and it would hit me the wrong way because I was eating from the wrong tree. I'd read John chapter 14, verse 15, which says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if, when I'm eating from a victimized posture, I'd read that like, if you love me, prove it, buddy. Because I looked at my natural relationship with my earthly father and my earthly mother at different times in my life, and I think they'd be willing to say this, but there were times where they sometimes communicated parentally the wrong kind of love at different times. They did a great job raising me, but there were seasons where I felt like they loved me if I did good, and I didn't feel loved if I did bad. I embarrassed them. I made them look bad. And so I, then I take that relationship on this level, and I pointed it back to God. I started eating from the wrong tree. So then I read that wrong. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, hey, if you love me, you fall in love with me, you focus on your relationship with me, you, you, I found a love. When you find that kind of love, you'll do what I say. So I used to spend all my time trying to do right, doing to do right, and I couldn't do right. Oh, I better not look at that girl the wrong way. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. There's girls everywhere. Ah! Better close my eyes. Better wear black glasses. Better pluck my eyes out. Oh, that's what the Bible says. I should pluck my eyes out. Oh, that's what I need to do. No, just fall in love with God. If you're married, just fall in love with your wife and you won't, have to, you won't be tempted by those things. The same principle that works this way works this way. It's the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is good preaching. So here, here's the second thing, all right? Another byproduct of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Shame, shame. They hid themselves from God. Genesis 3 verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves amongst the trees. So here's what happens. Here's the byproduct of that. Three little subpoints of shame. We become works focused. Works focused. Number two, we become critical of others' sin. We become works, this is, these are symptoms of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We become works focused, we become critical of other people's sin, and the last one is we act religious in our behaviors. We act religious in our behaviors. I hope you guys give this away, because this is so helpful for so many things. Works focused, we try to earn life in Christ by doing certain things. So this is what happens. You see people, they get it wrong. If, you know, you've heard me say this a million times, but I got it from my dad. If you have a flaw at the first, it fizzles at the finish. So if you don't get it right in the beginning, your relationship with God is not based on works. Then what happens is sometimes they realize that they need Jesus. They realize their life is falling apart. So they ask Jesus in the heart, and immediately they try to earn it. They, try, they go into religious mode. They, they re start eating from the wrong tree. So what do they do to maintain their relationship with God? They start getting up at 5 a.m. every single day to have devotions and read their Bible and scripture memory and they're going to fast twice a week and they're not going to eat donuts and Twinkies anymore. And, blah, 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 blah. and then you know what they do? They start imposing that on other people. You see it all the time. 
You see it all the time. And we call them radical Christians. No, they're eating from the wrong tree. They're not even, they're not even radical the way they're supposed to be radical. They're radically religious is what they are. Praying, reading 12 chapters a day. I'm not saying that's not good for you, but if it's not motivated by love, it's motivated by works, it's really bad for you. We become critical of other sin. This is a big one. This, this, this is what I want with all my heart to be an, the opposite of this, to be an attribute of our church, part of our culture. People come in. What do you expect sinners to do? What do sinners do? They sin. So why are we so, <gasps> they're living together. We should pray for them. And then we start talking about them instead of praying for them. And then we don't even relate to them. <gasps> Leprosy. You know, we treat them like they're lepers. We don't associate with them. We dance around them. We talk about them and not pray for them. That is a sign of a tree of knowledge. It happens in the church all the time. People are, oh, he smokes. Oh. Pot, oh. marijuana, you know, and we get all shocked that sinners are sinning. He drank a beer before he came to church. Oh my gosh! I could go all day with this. We <laughs> word, this bum. <laughs> They couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> See, he came looking for us when we were in sin. He came looking for us when we were in sin. He loves us. Adam, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? God loves, listen, he loves the Republican. He loves the Democrat. I'm going to start rubbing, rubbing some people the wrong way in here. You know what I mean? He loves people that don't think like us, don't believe like us. Jesus leaned into relationship with people that didn't believe like him. But when we run from people who don't believe like us, think like us, behave like us, that's a sign, tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's a sign of victimization. It's a sign. We're critical of others. Something in us wants, at the deepest level, we want people who are in sin to pay for it. That's awful. That's tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's bad. God loves them. Listen, look at Jesus' attitude to the woman's caught in the act of adultery. I talk about this every single C101 class. I love this story. It's so impactful. She, this woman, the law said she should be stoned. Of course, the guy wasn't there. Nobody, nobody, some reason that, you know, he wasn't part of this whole equation. So I wouldn't want to be a woman in that time. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't think about that. He deals with all of the pointers. He deals with all the people with. You know, the knowledge of the law. He said, hey, starts writing in the ground. Susie, Martha. Many theologians believe he was writing the names of their mistresses while they all walked. Some reason, they all walked away one by one, starting with the oldest because the young ones were a little slower. And then it was just him and her. And his first message, his first tree of life message to a woman in sin who deserved to die, according to the law, was, who's judging you? No one, God. Neither do I. Did he not deal with sin? Yes, he dealt with sin, but he dealt with sin after he connected with her heart, after he told her he loved her, after he gave her life and drew her to himself. That's when he connected with her. His first message was life. Then after that, she's no one, Lord, neither do I. Then he said, hey, don't do that anymore. 
Do you think she was motivated not to do it anymore when he loved her and accepted her the way she was? Yes, and so will everybody else. And, so, and when people encounter us, we're supposed to be Jesus with skin on, as you hear me say so many different times. It should be life that comes out of us. We're not n- ignoring sin. We're not blowing it off. We don't have to, I don't have to publicly confront because I can have a private conversation with someone once I talk to them, once I know them, once I find out the key to their heart, once I introduce them to Jesus who cleans them up. Amen? The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts. I don't have to do that. So we act, here's another sign. We act religious in our behavior. We as a church, I'll just say universally, sometimes have learned how to put on something that's not really us. We've learned and adapted ourselves to a bunch of rules and practices, and sometimes we miss the big idea. I, 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 I talked about this morning, but I know and I knew the routine could flip the switch, you know, so to speak, and uh, it, it just doesn't change lives. Life changes lives. People are attracted to life. I think the church should be like a greenhouse. The world outside could be chaos, the storms of life, snowstorms, craziness, but you get inside, everything's green and everything grows. The climate, the culture, the soil, everything grows all by itself because the soil is life-giving. And that's, why, that's where we get that term, life-giving. It's from what I'm talking about. And I believe God wants us to create a place where people love to come, not out of duty or obligation. It's not a have to, it's a get to. It's not, it's, it's, you, you just wanna be there. So what does this mean? This means that God wants us to live in love with him and that we'll be able to bring that healing to the nations like it says in Revelation chapter 22. And so the tree of life brings out the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, by the way. The tree of life brings out the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, there's nine fruit, not fruits, of the Spirit, and then the gifts of the Spirit, there's actually nine, believe it or not, gifts of the Spirit. Just, just as an aside on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets a really bad rap sometimes. It's, the Holy Spirit isn't about one gift. The Holy Spirit's about a bunch of stuff. The Holy Spirit makes you a bold witness. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you so that when you don't know how to overcome stuff, the Bible says in Galatians 5, we live by the Spirit, we won't gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. That's what living by the Spirit means in the, in the New Testament is pneuma. We talked about this in our small group, right, Alfredo? It means breath of God, the wind of God, an exhalation of God, God's Spirit. Same thing happened in Genesis. The, the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the earth. They were kind of dead and formless, but when the Spirit of God came on it, life came into it. God wants us to have life. The Holy Spirit brings life into our situation, so it's more than just a gift and praying in tongues, and that scares everybody sometimes. That is part of it. Paul prayed in the Spirit. He said more than y'all. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and got a lot of stuff done. I think it's a good idea to learn about praying in the Spirit. However, there's way more to it than that. And so the Holy Spirit is there to help us live that life, that tree of life experience while we're here on the earth. Amen? So how do you know if you're in it or not? Here's the question. How do you know if you're in the tree of life or not? Number one, here's a sign. Number one, innocence. Everybody say innocence. Innocence. A sign that you are eating from the tree of life, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is innocence. Now, I think kids are the best illustration for us to understand what innocence looks like. They, they say anything, they can do anything, whatever, but I think they show us what it looks like. I can remember um, my son one time, <laughs> is Devin here? Yeah, he's not going to like this. But I can remember when he was a little boy, little boy, he's playing with his friend, what was his friend's name, honey, the, the what? The Nintendo, play Nintendo out of the back. What's his name? Donovan. Donovan. Devin and Donovan. That's why I was struggling with it because they sound so silly. Devin and Donovan were two friends with real little boys. Uh, I'll just say real little. They're probably like nine, ten. No, I'm just kidding. They were probably like four or five. And they got in the tub and they're, they washed up. And then we said, when you guys get out of the tub, then you can play Nintendo again. Well, 
All of a sudden, we go down the hallway, and they just got right out of the tub. They got, like, they're, they're just their towel. You know those head towels, you know, with, like, the cape kind of thing, you know? And so we look in the room, and there's two, like, head cape towels, and they're kind of fanned out like this. And we come around the side. They're just buck naked, just playing Nintendo. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Dad, what's up, man? You know, pew, 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 you know, going 100 miles an hour. Now, that's fine and innocent, right? But if I got out of the bathtub went to play video games like that, that wouldn't be so innocent. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's, that is natural. Uh, but spiritually speaking, the Bible says, unless you come to me like a little child, remember what it says there? I think it's in Matthew 19. In the spiritual, the, the more you know, sometimes uh, the more innocence you can lose. We got to kind of, with regard, the one place says, with regards to evil, be like children or be like infants, be naive, the Bible says. Someone who gets saved looks so innocent. Listen to this. Someone who gets saved, genuinely saved. We have some babies in our church. I love our church because we get to be around babies. Um, I don't know if he's here, so I don't want to embarrass him. But there's, there's a guy that's, where's Jonathan? There's a guy that works with Jonathan right now as an usher, and he's just a baby Christian. And you get around him, and he's just, he's just glowing. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the, you know, pregnant women, how they have that glow too? But sometimes when somebody's just born, there's a glow too. New, just a baby. You know, when he, when he just popped out there and amened me a few seconds ago. It's just, there's just that joy and that innocence about it. You love to be around babies. You love to be near them. But, but sometimes someone who gets saved, they look so innocent until the church trains them. <laughs> it's like... Sometimes, there were times in my Christian experience I want to say, please, please still don't hang around all of us. You know what I mean? Stay, you know, don't completely remove yourself from the world. Not that I'm saying that the world is good for them. I'm just saying that we can sometimes not be good for them either because we can be eating from the wrong tree, causing just as much damage because they can be thinking they're okay when they're not okay. Oh, tree of knowledge is focused on covering up and maintaining an image and is non-relational. Okay, here's another sign that reading from the tree of life, sincerity. Everybody say sincerity. In other words, be who you are. Let, let your, uh, Romans 12, I think it says, let your love be sincere, without wax, without pretense, without nothing fake or feign, nothing, nothing uh, you know, it's, it's no veneer, no veneer. Everything in life is so different than that in our world today. And one of the things that attracts people to connect to you, to God, is being real. Being real, being sincere, being genuine. Oh, it's, it penetrates through so much junk, especially religion. That's what I was saying this morning. You know, I, 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 we have to, before we can get the message in, we have to dispel the bad press. See, we're going to have to undo myths and misinformation that people have about the church of Jesus Christ. It may take hundreds of, one of the reasons we have to raise money as a church is because we have to spend money to convince people that we're not like what they think we are. There's a practicality to it. And then when they get around us, they better find out that we're real. We have to have a genuine side to it as well. When people are counting, that's what I was saying this morning. I don't, I sometimes get offended. I got this from my dad. He's a very non-religious person. Very weird. Get around my dad, talks the same, you know, up front as he does behind the scenes. You know, that, that's attractive to people. That's why so many people got saved in our ministry all these years. That I was just this morning, I was saying, I'm not religious. I just love Jesus. I don't, I don't, I don't want to walk around with a collar and change my voice when I pray and all those kind of things. That doesn't happen here because we want to be sincere. Sincerity isn't preoccupied with perfection, but pleasing the one we love. 
Here's the third thing, freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom. Freedom can't be appreciated, again, without boundaries. You got to have days of freedom. You got to have yes days, as I like to say. Freedom draws closer, not further, draws you closer, not further away. Uh, you know, my kids, they always want to, uh, when they were younger, they always wanted to jump on my bed because they had the freedom to, you know, kind of hang out. We'd have pillow talk and talking, you know, talking in the bedroom and stuff like that. And, you know, there was times where they couldn't be in there. But, you know, there's, there's times where they could. And when they wouldn't come in and they wouldn't come close and they wouldn't come near, that was a sign something was up. They hid themselves. Who told you you were naked? You know, that was always a sign. When there was that distance in connectivity between parent and child, that's always a sign they were eating from the wrong tree. And, 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 and that's how I knew kind of something was off. And Stacy would know something was off. It's a bad case of TOK. You know what I'm saying? There's something I wanted to say about that, and I can't remember what it was about freedom. Mm, the Holy Spirit will help me. I'll, it'll come back to that. You can waste your life if you don't know the difference between these two. You can waste your Christian experience. You can miss so many wonderful things if you don't get these two trees. So here's our response. Practical steps to living in the tree of life. Practical steps as we wind up. Number one, we should respond with life towards others and their mistakes. Make it real simple. When people make mistakes, respond with life to them. Like I said, like Jesus was with the prostitute. The 2 Corinthians 3, 6 talks about the letter of the law. What does it do? It kills. The spirit of the law brings life. Life. It's really important. So how many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you came, before you came to Connect, you were in a different church environment and it had a tree of knowledge uh, kind of emphasis in it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't, I'm not asking you to call out the church's name or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know what I'm talking about. Like there was just... There, wasn't, there was letter of the law. You could feel the difference. It's a big difference. You could always tell whether you're in life by a response to sin. That's why you can have one person who can use scripture. For example, take, take abortion, big subject. So one person makes the person who's having the abortion feel sinful. Another person that can take the same truth and is advocating for the unborn. One is letter of the law, one is spirit of the law. I want to help you. I want to save you. I want to keep you from making a mistake. Oh, you made a mistake. You crossed the line. Let me help you with that too. That's the difference. My dad used to say, you know, I'm going to do everything I can in the front nine to keep you from crossing the line. But if you make a mistake, I'll be with you on the back nine if you're a golfer, which I just recently became. <laughs> so now I know what he means. <laughs> but, but there's two ways to look at it. The lens in which you look at the tree from which you eat from changes everything. Number two, we approach God through relationships, not rules relationships, not rules. It's not through a religious code it's, or study, but through relationship. We don't just read the word and believe it. We become it through knowing him. Seminary we, we, it can be the cemetery for many of us. It can kill us sometimes, the, sometimes what we know. Uh, Jesus saw this with the religious people in, in John chapter 5. I always love this particular scripture. Um, you, in, other words, in other words, you can read this and miss him. Jesus is good doctrine. He is, he is the living embodiment of our belief system. You want to understand doctrine? Read the life, study the life, practice the same practices of Jesus. 
and you'll understand truth. Some people get so messed up in knowledge. I see they want to, in apologetics. And I, 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 listen, I think we need to have a timely word and apropos. I think we need to know what we believe and whom we have believed. I think that we need to watch our life and doctrine closely. Trust me, I, I, can, I can go there. But I don't want to because you know what it does? It ties people up in knots. It gets them missing the point. It's not the point. Our point is not to make a point. It's to make a difference. And so sometimes we can get all about studying different things, but again, we miss God and we don't influence anyone. No one is influenced by that. So Jesus saw this in the beginning. He saw this with the religious people. John 5, he's talking to religious people. Who was he upset with the most? Religious people who had a lot of answers and points to make. He said this to the religious. He said, you, John 5, 39, he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, meaning you don't. And these are they which testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So he's like, hey, you're studying, you're studying, you're studying. I'm right here, dude. You're so missing it. You're looking, 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 and he's right there ready to have a relationship with people. Sometimes we are missing the big point because we can't even see because it's, it's like right under our nose. Here's the third one. Guard your heart from going back. Guard your heart from going back. I think, just imagine like, two mon- like a monkey swinging from one tree to the other. This is what happens. I'm guilty of this. I learn the attributes of the tree of knowledge. I learn the attributes of the tree of life. And what happens, you're going to see it every day. And I ne- you need to ask this why you need the Holy Spirit. This is why you need the Holy Spirit to help show you the way, reveal truth to you, help you apply it. That's why you need to be in constant contact with the Holy Spirit because literally you'll find yourself swinging, oh, you know, you're over in the tree of life and then something bad happens and somebody does something stupid and you're like, that idiot, you know, and we swing over here and we start judging them and making fun of them and saying bad things about them and they're like, oh, that wasn't right. I'm so sorry, Lord. You've done so many good things for me. Thank you, God. Help me to look at them through your eyes. Your forgiveness for me, I should forgive others and your grace and who am I to judge them and you know I'm categorizing sin I repent of you we go back over here we need to stay over here how do you do that you got to guard your heart Proverbs 4 23 says guard your heart above all else guard your heart for out of it are the issues of what life 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 here's another one number four mind your own business (laughs) mind your own business it's kind of a question to ask yourself, you know, is do these, this way of thinking, does it work for you? How's it working for you? Thinking like that, behaving like that, judging people like that, you know, using information and knowledge like that. There's a lot of things we actually don't have the right to have an opinion about. You, you, you can't, eva- listen, you can't evaluate somebody else, really, if you're eating from the tree of life. You, 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 you can't really judge someone else if you're eating, from, let me say it that way, if you're eating from the tree of life. You won't. Uh, there was this woman, uh, she, a godly woman, she said, those things, those things are too wonderful me, for me to know anything about. I just trust God with that. It's just a simple answer. It's pretty interesting. This fifth one, um, I don't know. This is kind of a new one for me. I'll just give you this quickly, but um, is lead with questions. Don't make statements. Don't communicate certainties. Lead with questions. A lot of times we come out, this is tree of life, says, I know the answer, this is what they need, and I'm going to tell it to them. I'm going to straighten them out. I'm going to deal with them. That would be a a phrase we had in the early days of our church. I got to deal with this person. I got to deal with this person. You know what? A lot of times you've been given good judgment, and God's given you wisdom, and he's given you knowledge, but sometimes you can just be a couple degrees off 
on what you know or what you think. You could be a few degrees off also in your delivery, and so the effectiveness and outcomes that God has called you to influence don't happen because you're saying it wrong, because you got a piece of it wrong. So what can you do? You just go right in and just ask a question. Hey, can you just tell me what's going on with you? What's happening? I just noticed you haven't, you haven't been around in a while. You haven't been in church in a while. Instead of coming around and going, listen, you need to take God seriously. You haven't been in God's house in a long, long time. You signed a covenant. You understand that? Let me see this piece of paper. I take this seriously. I'm your pastor. What the heck's the matter with you? Am I justified if they haven't been in church in six months? Maybe. But I'm, am I right? Maybe. But I'm dead right. And I haven't done anything to bring life into their situation. Hey, what's going on? Tell me your story. What's happening? I'm concerned about you. It can't be, it can't, it can't be good. Talk to me. Is that a different approach? Could it get a very different result? Heck yeah. So ask questions. Don't communicate certainties. I think that's a secret to life. Number six, judge when responsible. Judge when responsible. Parents to kids, boss to employees, civil leaders to civilians. And you can't administer judgment from the tree of life. In other words, this has this helped me. You can hire and fire people and still eat from the tree of life. Tree of life doesn't mean we never discipline. The Lord chastens those he loves. It's just how you do it. Listen, this isn't, this isn't your fit, honey. This isn't your, this isn't, this isn't your lane, God has a 10 for you, but we've discovered it isn't here, right? Don't you think, do you agree with me? Yes. That's how it's been. I've had those experiences with people. They're like, you're right. I'm struggling. It's just not working. I just keep trying to measure up, and I can't measure up. You can fire someone. I want to give you an extreme instance. So tree of life doesn't mean like, oh, happy day, just wipe away. You know, nothing happened, nothing bad. Everything's perfect. You know, it's not like a self-worth seminar where we just make everybody feel good about their stupid sin. <laughs> that, was, that was a little tree of knowledge in there, if you just noticed. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> coming back, coming back. <laughs> that's how fast you can come back, because you can make fun of yourself, and then you can just like make a joke about it. That's how you do that. That's funnier than you realize. So, so I'm just saying, tree of life <laughs> is not an excuse not to have standards or values to live by, but, but just a life-giving motivation to administer those values and those standards. So you can still hold people to a standard. You can still hold people to a, a, a way of living and a lifestyle. I'll close with this, and, and, and Deej and the team, you guys can come up. It says this. This is Matthew 11. You can write this last scripture down, and you're done. All your note-taking, you've been so good taking notes. I'm so proud of you. You're so awesome. Tree of life all over you. Matthew 11:25. 25. It says this. It says, then Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise, clever, and for revealing it to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. See, he can hide things sometimes who think they know everything, but he can reveal everything to people who think they don't know so much. They've got a childlikeness about them. Have you lost maybe your childlikeness you know what? When we don't have that childlikeness in our life and that tree of life, life becomes draining. Life becomes like, you, it's like, like life is just being sucked away from you like air. In fact, I want you to stand your feet and you can put your notes away. Did you guys get something out of this? I hope so. I hope so. I hope it spar, spars and spawns or whatever. Not spars, because then you'll fight about it. Spawns, conversation and communication and interaction about this whole thing and maybe you take those notes and you interact this week with the Holy Spirit this week and say God you know Holy Spirit help me to live from the tree of life 
where am I not living from the tree of life? Because if you're not, you can get tired. You can get weary in well-doing. If you are, like, you got, you, got the, you got the world by the tail. You know what I mean? If you don't, you got your tail up over the dashboard. And, and things are hard. And things are difficult. And things, like, don't have the, the flow and the feel and the rhythm of life that God wants to have for you. So would you just close your eyes for a second? And we're going we're gonna to ask the Holy Spirit to revive your relationship with God. You'll revive your relationship. How many of you feel like, if you're honest, you're transparent, eyes closed, just being still before the Holy Spirit, how many feel like you, you need your relationship with God revived? You want to you be more in the tree of life. Come on, just be honest. Maybe just put both hands up right now as I pray for you. Just We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to revive that relationship. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm just going to believe. If you have to go half mass because your arms get tired when I'm praying, that's okay. But just kind of keep your, keep your antenna up to the Holy Spirit right now, you know. Just, just ask him to refresh you. Ask him to restore. A lot of times it's just a mindset. We sometimes come and we want a zowie, wowie prayer thing and we want some kind of, you know, jolt of lightning to hit us and we're expecting something that really comes just by seeing something in your mind the way God sees it. And you, you embrace truth and you, 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 take, you take something and you apply it to your heart, not necessarily to your mind. So Holy Spirit, I pray you come into this room right now in the name of Jesus. I ask you by your power and by your grace to restore our childlikeness again, God, in the name of Jesus. Make us like children, God, where we frolic in your presence, where we, we feel free and we feel restored and we're not ashamed. We don't go into hiding and we don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Oh, I pray that you get freedom where you worship. You worship like children. I love watching children come to church. I can think of little, little uh, Bright the Jamrise kid, you know, and she, she's just like a little sweet, little innocent girl, and she's down here just praising God and enjoying the presence of God, and she can't wait to worship, and her mom and dad bring her up front. Lord, give us that childlikeness just like that. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Pour out your spirit on us, oh God, that we might feel your presence again. That's what I pray for you as we sing this next song. I pray that the Holy Spirit penetrate your heart. Anything that is calloused, anything, it's literally like calluses on your hand. Your hands, symbolic like your heart, being softened by the presence, the very presence of God. I encourage you, you might need to get out of your seat and kind of come down front, almost like as a, as a sign of surrender, as a sign of hunger, as a sign of saying to God, you know, I need you, I want you, I don't want knowledge and information, I just want you, God, I just want you, God. So as we come, you know, as we worship this song, just come as you feel led and, and just get close to God. It's like a symbol of getting close to God. You might want to kneel in your seat, you might want to move around, I don't know, but just ask God to break you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. I'm just going to stay close by.